totaled to over 28,500. You're listening to the news on RTHK. AM, FM and live online. This is Radio 3. Good morning from me, Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Wednesday, the 14th of September. A warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. Here are today's business headlines. U.S. inflation in August came in hotter than expected, surprising financial market participants and prompting a steep sell-off on Wall Street for U.S. shares. The Consumer Price Index increased 0.1% last month. That's above economists' expectations for a 0.1% drop. The annual inflation rate fell for a second month, declining to 8.3% in August from 8.5% in July. But economists had been expecting a bigger drop to 8.1%. A steep drop in energy prices was offset by price pressures elsewhere. The costs of food, housing and medical care continued to surge. China's foreign ministry has confirmed that President Xi Jinping will visit Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan this week. President Xi is also likely to meet tomorrow with Russian President Vladimir Putin in Uzbekistan. China's top diplomat, Yang Shiqi, told the Russian ambassador Andrei Denisov China is willing to work with Russia to take the global order in a more just and reasonable direction. Premier Li Keqiang stressed the solid implementation of policy measures to stabilise economic growth. Premier reiterated that China will promote the sustained and healthy development of the platform economy and special loans will be used to support the platform companies. He also pledged to boost consumption as a major driver for reviving growth. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Mike, Mark Michelson at IMA Asia, Carlos Casanova from Union Boncare Privé, and RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, US shares suffered their worst single-day sell-off in over two years following the hot inflation report. The S&P 500 slumped 4.3% to 3,933. Just five stocks in the index finished in positive territory, and last night's decline has erased most of the recent rally, pulling the S&P 500 back to its level of the 6th of September. The Dow tumbled 1,276 points, or 3.9%, to 31,104, in its worst day since June 2020. The Nasdaq Composite Index sank 5.2% to end the day at 11,634. Tech stocks were hit particularly hard, with Facebook parent Meta shedding 9.4% and chip giant NVIDIA sliding 9.5%. In Europe, the regional stock 600 index dropped 1.5%. The UK's FTSE 100 declined 1.2%. Hong Kong stocks ended the first trading day after the Mid-Autumn Festival lower. Despite hopes of more economic stimulus from Beijing, the Hang Seng Index fell 35 points, or 0.2%, to 19,327. The Hang Seng Tech Index lost 0.2%, 
The losses for the tech index would have been greater had it not been for electric vehicle maker NIO, which jumped to almost 17% in Hong Kong, the biggest surge since March. After data showed China's auto exports hit a new record in August, rising 32% year-on-year and surpassing 300,000 units for the first time ever. NEV sales doubled on the year. Chinese biopharmaceutical stocks tumbled after US President Joe Biden signed an executive order overnight bolstering the U.S. biomanufacturing industry. Wuxi Biologics created 20%, its biggest fall in seven months. And shares of Fosun International, which is the distributor of the BioNTech vaccine here in Hong Kong, fell over 4% after Chinese regulators ordered banks to report their exposure to the conglomerate. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index gained 0.1% to 3,264. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil declined 0.9% to end the day at $93.17 per barrel. Gold is down 1.3% at $1,702 an ounce. In government debt markets, the yield on the two-year Treasury note, which is more sensitive to interest rate expectations, surged by 18 basis points to 3.75%. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield rose 5 basis points to 3.41%. The US dollar index surged 1.6% following the hot inflation report. The euro this morning is down 1.5% at 99 and three quarters of a cent. The Japanese yen tumbled 1.5% to 144.47. Sterling is off 1.6% at $1.15 and nine Hong Kong dollars and two cents. The Chinese yuan has also tumbled. It's at 6.98 and a quarter in offshore markets, close to that seven level against the dollar. And Bitcoin tumbled 10% to $20,100. And it's a sea of red around Asia-Pacific markets as they open up uh, for trading this morning. Down in Australia, the SX200 has plummeted 1.8%. It's even worse in Japan, the Nikkei 225 down almost 3%. The Cosby in South Korea is off 2.5%. And futures markets are indicating that the Hang Seng is going to lose over 500 points here in Hong Kong at the Open. Busy morning, lots of things to talk about. So let's join our guests here with me in the studio. We have Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Morning, Mark. Good morning, Peter. And over in our Queensway studio, we have Carlos Casanova, who is Senior Asia Economist at Union Boncaire Privé. Morning to you, Carlos. Good morning, Peter. And in Ohio in the US this morning, we find our well-travelled international economics (laughs) correspondent, Barry Wood. Morning to you, Barry. Yes, sir. Columbus, Ohio. And good morning to you, Peter. Great to talk to you again. Uh, U.S. inflation in August came in hotter than expected. The consumer price index increased 0.1% last month. Economists had been expecting a 0.1% drop. The annual inflation rate did fall for a second month, declining to 8.3% in August from 8.5% in July. But economists had been expecting a bigger drop to 8.1%. And analysts had been anticipating that inflation would be reduced by tumbling uh, petrol prices in recent months, which have fallen from a record $5 a gallon after Russia's invasion of Ukraine to the current national average of $3.70. 
However, the costs of food, housing and medical care continue to surge. And most worryingly for policymakers, core inflation, which strips out volatile items such as energy and food, rose by 0.6% month-on-month and 6.3% year-on-year compared with 5.9% in July. And the odds that the Fed will opt for a full 1% point rate hike next week rose from zero on Monday to 34% after the data was released, according to Fed Fund's futures markets. Barry, perhaps we can kick off and get your assessment on this. Rising inflation, rising wages, a tight labour market. This is not what a soft landing is supposed to look like, is it? Absolutely. You've got it right. The word is volatility. All of the gains of the last four days in terms of stock markets, the dollar's retreat, all wiped out. And as you said at the top, this is the worst day since June 2020. So I mean, this is this is extraordinary. And Peter, I find it very interesting that that investors go deep into these CPI numbers, consumer price index. I mean, after all, prices were only up one tenth of one percent overall in August mm-hmm. after no change in July. But it was within that where you saw this problem. And of course. Gasoline prices, as you just mentioned, were down 11% in the month. Mm. But then food prices up, medical care up, all the shelter prices up. And my goodness, did the market instantly react to all of that. And by the time the market opened, an hour after the release of the figures, it was clear this was going to be a very substantial down day. And we ended right at the bottom. So it's, um, it's heavy-duty stuff. Before this data came out, economists had been talking quite a lot um, about peak inflation. They had expected uh, inflation to peak. They were pointing at uh, that New York Fed survey, which showed um, inflation expectations amongst consumers declining. They were pointing to uh, lower than expected inflation in China. And what's gone wrong? What, what is it that, uh, you know, that economists have missed here? I think that uh, the big thing is that grocery prices are up. I see it here traveling. I can't believe in a fast food restaurant that prices seem double what I would be used to even in high cost Washington, D.C. And people are really hurting. Restaurant prices are skyrocketing. Medical prices are up. So all of that against the fact that gasoline prices are much lower. I think that it is the expectation that the Fed is steadfast and that this means almost certainly that we're going to three quarters of one percent on the next Fed meeting, which is, after all, next week. I don't think it was a matter that they got things wrong, Peter. I think they were just disappointed there wasn't further progress. Mm -hmm. And there you are. And uh, now we're in a very bad situation. Let's get another economist's view on it. Carlos Casanova over in our Queensway studio. Um, Was there any good news at all that you could find in this data? Any sign that inflation might have peaked? Um, Their overall message was that um, inflation remains high um, throughout all of the categories. I think um, electronics um, also declined, but that was about it together with fuel prices. Um, I mean, even apparel was up. 
uh, on a month-on-month basis, despite an increase in inventories. Um, so what we are seeing, uh, indeed, is very sticky inflation and very strong, a very strong labor market that is, is pushing um, further price increases. I think mm-hmm. the focus should be on inflation is peaking ing <laughs> and, and has not peaked yet. And so we could get more of these um, sort of disappointing data prints mm-hmm. um, over the coming months. In fact, um, our own inflation forecast for the U.S. expects that it will remain above three percent throughout um, all of 2023 and much of 2024. So we still have a, a, a lot of time ahead of us before we see uh, or we can say that inflation has peaked. Um, and um, there are also factors that could drive inflation up in the short term. So all of the power shortages in China over the summer led to supply chain disruptions. The expected power shortages in Europe during the winter might lead to supply chain disruptions in Germany. So there are factors that are pointing towards a more cautious approach. Um, and it's going to be interesting to observe how the Fed reacts to that and if they are going to indeed uh, hike more aggressively to try to tame uh, all of these uh, cost plus inflation factors. Margaret, I suppose the other thing that could make this worse is that this drop in petrol prices, gas prices, as you call it in the US, it's it's not really sustainable, is it? Because if the war in uh, Ukraine intensifies, uh, we get surging prices in Europe, it's going to drive up prices in the US as well at the pump. Yeah, absolutely. And and, well, Barry's in Ohio, and I just traveled across the U.S. uh, last month and found that even though petrol prices were down a bit, it varied considerably in some places. And as Barry suggested, in the Midwest, where you thought it might be a little bit lower, it's actually higher than than in places like Washington, Washington, D.C., which is sort of worrying. But inflation is insidious, and we're finding that in, in terms of our businesses, too. I mean, consumers are being hit by by price rises even if 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 uh, petrol is down it's not down as we mentioned for health costs for housing for uh food for many other key areas so reluctance to spend it's also hitting companies uh one of our one manufacturer one international manufacturer for example in china says 70 percent of their suppliers are in financial trouble at the moment and that's not just inflation yeah that's not just inflation because inflation in china is pretty moderated for various reasons but at the same time that's part of it that's part of the situation so it's a it's a very volatile and a very worrying situation i guess you would say at this point Do you you think um, companies out here and consumers are are ready for the fact that actually rather than the Fed moderating uh, rate increases, it could get worse? um, There's now talk about a 1% rise uh, next week instead of three quarters of a percent. I mean, they're they're ready if it has an impact. If it does slow down things, even it will will slow down borrowing and and, and, and it would cause other issues as well. But I think at this point, just looking for for a little twig to hang on to as the as the flood overwhelms them. Mm. Barry, what do you think of the Fed here? Yeah, where, look, where, where uh, do they go from here? Well, I don't think that uh, they're going to do a, a full percentage point. I mean, that would kill the housing market. And uh, yes, we want uh, the housing market to come down in terms of both price, mortgage rates are way up, and in fact, people are having to pay a lot more on mortgage. It's doubled in the, in the past eight months. But I think a full percentage point increase next week would be an alarmist view. That's how the markets would take it. So, gosh, isn't it enough, Peter, if you have three successive 0.75% 
increases. That's what we're going to get. And uh, the question is, uh, and, and I want to put a question, if I may, to Carlos. Carlos, you know, we've got food prices up 11% year over year, the highest level since 1979. I look at 8.5% in CPI in, in July, 8.3, and yet you think or apparently you believe that the rate of inflation in the States has to come down dramatically. Didn't you say 3% during the whole of 2023? Yeah, so we do expect that um, throughout the second half of 2023, you will have this base effect, um, and that is going to play a role in lowering inflation. That is part of the view. But as you've correctly mentioned, um, the market is probably not... Uh, adequately pricing in uh, the possibility of inflation remaining at current levels uh, for longer and the Fed having to react um, to that sticky inflation via stronger 75 basis point rate hikes. I agree with Barry that um, a full percentage point given that the meeting is next week is probably less likely at this juncture. Um, but another 75 basis points in uh, you know October could potentially be a very negative signal for markets. Um, we are currently priced in for a soft landing. If this turns into a hard landing or a full recession with um, persistently high inflation throughout the first half of next year, then we are looking at a much more significant contraction in U.S. equities, I think mm -hmm. up to maybe 15, 20% further downside. And of course, the fixed income market is also not fully pressing that in yet. Carlos, give us your thoughts about uh, inflation pressures here in Asia, because it seems to be a very mixed picture, doesn't it? We had um, inflation data out of India, which was worse than expected, but then the data from China um, was considerably better than expected. Um, so we, we can discuss the specific factors for China, but if you look at Asia as a whole, um, inflation is up, um, but um, the core inflation numbers are still a bit more subdued. And we can trace back much of the increases in inflation in Asia to imported inflation, uh, higher um, commodity prices and um, FX depreciation against the US dollar. Mm -hmm. I think one of the factors that hasn't led to a stronger structural a shift in inflation in Asia is the fact that employment conditions remain weaker than they were prior to uh, COVID-19. So unemployment rates uh, across the region are still higher than they were in 2019. And that is one of the factors that has um, supported this, uh, you know, slightly slower inflation trend compared to Europe um, and also the USA. In China, of course, you have zero COVID. Um, so that is dragging uh, aggregate demand significantly. And the only thing that was pushing inflation up was pork prices. But we estimate that the weight of pork in the CPI basket has been reduced from around 10% to 2% over the past few months, um, which of course is very convenient because mm -hmm. it means we have very low inflation, 2.5% uh, relative to the rest of the world, and that opens the, the door to another potential rate cut in the fourth quarter. So slightly different uh, situation for China, but overall in Asia, we are seeing that structural uh, weakness, um, you know, that recovery narrative still panning out, uh, and all these factors are sort of supportive of lower inflation. I, I, I just add for China, they also use price controls, subsidies, uh, strategic stocks to try to curb inflation, which isn't 
completely effective, but certainly certainly has an effect, especially given the given the way they manage their economy. Yeah, is, is, absolutely. Is is that uh, I mean, China is much better at controlling prices, isn't it, than the rest of the world? It steps in at the state level more aggressively. Is it something? Well, we are seeing maybe in in Europe, certainly, aren't we? Germany is talking about intervening now much more directly in the power markets. Is this the way things are going? Governments are going to have to step in to try and stabilize prices. Yeah, absolutely. We are seeing it in China very prominently. Europe now <laughs> jumping on that bandwagon. India also, since June, actually, they've been controlling um, prices, um, both for uh, agri-food commodities and, and for energy. Um, and of course, throughout Asia, you've seen a lot of uh, central banks utilizing FX reserves mm -hmm. in order to curb the pace of depreciation of the currencies to try to limit the pace of import inflation. We are talking double-digit contractions, uh, you know, on in, 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 in terms of the, the size of FX reserves, so the, mm -hmm. declining by 10% per month over the last few months. All of this is good um, insofar as inflation is expected to be peaking and declining in, at some point in the next year. The longer this drags on for, the less sustainable it becomes. And so you've, you, you've depleted your FX reserves that you could have used to stimulate the economy. So at some point, banks will have to pivot and accept higher inflation and, and governments will not be able to, uh, to meddle as much as they have been so far. So it's a, it's a perilous situation that is not sustainable going forwards. Mark, well, presumably with uh, low inflation, uh, there's more room for stimulus. Is that something that companies are calling for? Do they want to see more economic stimulus on the mainland? Well, uh, some of them, as I was mentioning, many of the companies, uh, the suppliers have financial problems and they're having problems getting loans and, and, and other support. So some kind of stimulus measures might help. There's expect, there seems to be expectation although it's not clear it's going to happen or to what extent it's going to happen. Maybe maybe mm. some of my colleagues today have a, have, a, have a view on that, but it's still the signs are, are, not, uh, are not very clear at the moment. Barry, let me ask you about these uh, latest semiconductor restrictions on China. Uh, the Biden administration is talking about broadening the rules on chip designers uh, and those that provide manufacturing um, equipment on on sales to China. What, what exactly is being proposed here? Well, uh, NVIDIA and AMD, the, the two makers uh, and exporters of uh, artificial intelligence chips into China, are going to face restrictions. And that's why their stocks were down so much. I find it uh, fascinating that uh, Catherine Tai and indeed the entire Biden administration in many ways on some of these sensitive economic financial issues is tougher on China than President Trump was. So I think this is a clear sign that there is no real economic rapprochement and that uh, there's going to be new regulations coming out on KLA, on LAM, and on uh, applied materials. So the Americans are making a very strong statement of saying we want to slow down China's development of artificial intelligence. And, and, and why is that? And why is that? Does the U.S. fear that maybe it's losing the the, the race in in areas such as AI with with China? Is is that part of the reason, or does it is this part of the U.S. seeing China? Uh, yes, as it a, is. A strategic. I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think that the Americans are are, are frightened, and uh, you know that's why. Here I am in Columbus, Ohio, where there's going to be 7,000 workers soon building this uh, Intel uh, two fab plants for, for semiconductors. 
But uh, here was Intel, really the leader, 20, 30 years ago. They lost that lead as they shifted production to Taiwan, South Korea, elsewhere in Asia. And I think the Americans are afraid, but uh, I would defer to my two colleagues in Hong Kong because uh, you see it from a different perspective. But uh, there's no other explanation I can see as to why the Biden administration is taking such a tough line on high tech to China. Yeah, it's a security issue as well. I mean, there's great concern actually on both sides and so much distrust which is, which is something you can talk about perhaps uh, in domestic as well as international politics. That, that, that's the situation, of course, with elections coming up in both places, different kinds of elections, but in China and the United States, that just, uh, that just makes the situation perhaps a bit worse, at least in the next few months. Carlos, does this set back China's uh, chip industry? I mean, the, Beijing is concerned, isn't it, about uh, the, the lack of progress in developing its own high-tech uh, chip development? With um, harder access to foreign components of technology, that will make it more difficult for China to achieve its long-term strategic goals um, to upgrade its industrial capacity. And remember, much hinges upon this industrial upgrade because um, you know they want to become a, a, a middle-income country by 2035. And so this is perhaps the most important component of that strategy. So in my opinion, they really need to get on with it and uh, perhaps uh, move on from this uh, zero COVID nonsense that is just uh, dragging and, and delaying this, this more important <laughs> development. Okay, I want to ask you about President Xi's visit to Central Asia. Beijing's confirmed now that he will visit Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan uh, this week. He's also likely to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin on Thursday uh, in Uzbekistan. This coincides with the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. I should point out that the SCO, uh, the Shanghai uh, Cooperation Organization, it accounts for around a third of the world's land, 42% of the world's population and 25% of global GDP. So this is a big area, isn't it? Is this a signal that uh, maybe this is where China is going to focus its attention going forward, given its deteriorating relations with the US and with Europe? I would think so. In, in part, of course, uranium. You didn't mention that. That's a yeah, fairly big, important yeah, yeah. component, especially for Kazakhstan. And of course, as everybody moves Many move toward nuclear fuel and uh, nuclear power and, and so on to a greater extent, as well as the military aspects of it as well. And, of course, the key is is the relationship between uh, between Putin and Xi. And if that looks like it's going to strengthen in some substantial way, what kind of impact does that have about all the sanctions we've been talking about? And does that go further in the financial area and, and others? Because the political situation, as has been mentioned, is not is not very favorable at the moment. So this is this is a pretty dramatic uh, dramatic uh, meeting and dramatic trip for other reasons than uh, than the than the countries that he's visiting. Barry, let me ask you about that a bit further. If if um. Uh, at this meeting with uh, with President Putin, that China does signal that it's going to provide more support uh, to to Russia. How's that going to be viewed in the West? Well, very negatively, no doubt about it. I mean, look, the Americans have really vilified, and I I, I use that word descriptively, uh, without taking a political stance on this Ukraine war. But uh, the United States, both parties, the public, united in 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 blaming Russia for this disaster in Ukraine. I mean, the war that's gone on over six months. So there's no question 
that uh, the Americans and I think the Europeans are going to view any further cooperation between Russia and China negatively. Mm. Carlos, final words to you. I mean, is, is this a risk uh, for China? If it does start to cozy up to Russia even further, it could be hit uh, by secondary sanctions, which it could affect its economy and also its financial markets. Absolutely. I think so far uh, China has been able to sort of avoid this uh, outcome. Uh, I think it's in Putin's interest to very much um, show the world that they both countries are still very aligned. Um, I think for China, there are short-term uh, and long-term factors that they're balancing out. In the longer term, we're talking at a big chunk of the world's population and GDP. Um, ASEAN is becoming an important trading um, market for China, but um, this part of the world is expected to do the same. And of course, there's also the uranium um, dimension, but they will have to navigate those short-term pressures and, and will have to avoid uh, appearing too cozy uh, with Russia if, if they want to um, continue to you know, uh, minimize that risk of um, European and, and North American sanctions. Okay, well, you heard there Carlos Casanova, Senior Asia Economist at UBP, Mark Michelson, who is Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia, and our International Economics Correspondent, Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. It's really looking very grim in financial markets around Asia this morning. The SX200 now down 2.7%. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan offers similar amounts. Cosby in South Korea is down about 2.4%. Looks like the Hang Seng uh, is going to open about 500 points lower later on this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning with more business and financial analysis at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news, back chats with Janice Wong and Danny Gittings. The weather forecast, mainly fine but hazy. It's going to be very hot and very dry during the day. Maximum temperature of around 36 degrees. It's going to remain fine, very hot and dry uh, this week to early next week. There is a very hot weather warning in force. The red fire danger warning is also in force. It's 31 degrees already and 38% relative humidity. 8.31, here's Todd Harding with the Half Hour News. Ukrainian officials say the army is pushing ahead with its counter-offensive in the northeast of the country, where it's recaptured swathes of territory. A deputy defence minister, Volodymyr Havrilov, said Russia had so far been unable to stop the advance. We see the low morale of Russian troops. We saw the total control of command and control system of Russia during this counter-offensive operation. We also saw the logistic challenges Russia faces now, we will face in future. All this contributes to our understanding that Russia is not ready to stop Ukrainian advance with the old-fashioned command and control system and equipment. In his regular evening address, President Volodymyr Zelensky said more territory had been recaptured and large parts of the liberated areas had now been stabilised, with the remnants of Russian troops neutralised, collaborators detained and security restored. Queen Elizabeth II's coffin has been brought from Scotland to Buckingham Palace. It will stay there overnight. Large crowds watched as the state hearse brought the coffin into London. London's Commissioner for Transport, Andy Byford, has described preparations for the late Queen's funeral as the biggest operation ever for Transport for London, or TfL. More than a million people are expected to visit central London, where she will lie in state from today. This is the biggest challenge that TfL has ever faced. Obviously, we had the Olympics in 2012, which was itself a huge occasion. But there, we knew exactly what was happening, when it was happening, and how many people were attending. This is, there are so many variables. 
Twitter's former security chief, Peter Zatko, has testified before a U.S. Senate hearing to share concerns about security at the website, which he thinks are so serious they could have implications for national security. The BBC's Michelle Fleury reports. The former Twitter executive turned whistleblower told U.S. lawmakers the social network didn't know what data it had and so wasn't able to protect it properly. Mr Zatko, who was sacked in January, said his disclosures weren't made out of spite or to harm the company. Still, his testimony could influence the legal fight between Twitter and billionaire Elon Musk, who's trying to back out of a deal he made to buy the social network for $44 billion. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Danny Gittings. Today we're talking about the increased use of AI or artificial intelligence in e-commerce and what the government, businesses and consumers should be doing to prepare for this unfamiliar new landscape. The Consumer Council has recently conducted a survey which found that 7 out of 10 consumers are worried about data privacy, although 60% either don't bother to read privacy policies of the companies they patronize or even know such policies exist. The council